Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we got Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever, also known as Nighty Knight. Uh, David's not here right now, but we got a different David <laughs> that we're going to be done with today. Yes, we do. So it's going to be great. But we are still a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they would. Okay. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with a post-show. Except for this one. Uh, if you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, I know a lot of people have been wanting us to bring this kind of interview series back. Um, it's back <laughs> to an extent. We are still kind of taking our time with this, but our guest for today is uh, none other than the director of The Ritual and The Night House, David Bruckner. Hello, my friend. Hello. How's it going? Going <laughs> very, very well. Super stoked to have you. Super stoked to have you. Yeah, I know this has I'm, been I'm, a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and, you know, I know expressed in the virtual green room, I'm, I'm big fans of the podcast and have just really, really loved the way you guys have, uh, the way you guys break down movies and look at stuff. So uh, I'm really I appreciate happy that. to be here, dudes. Yeah. Oh, man. Appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for mm-hmm. being a fan of the show and, and also just making awesome shit and coming on the show. <laughs> awesome. Well, we want to just, just hop straight into it. Uh, sure. First initial question that I do have is what sparked your interest in horror and even wanting to create horror? Yeah. Um, where where did this begin? Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's difficult to trace back. No, I mean, when I was a kid, I was not someone who handled horror films very well. Sure. So they just scared the living hell out of me. And, uh, and my dad used to like to watch them. And my mother worked nights. She was an ER nurse. And so uh, I remember my dad would put on a horror film and um, I would have nowhere to go. I wouldn't be able to escape the movie because he'd be on in the living room. And if you left the living room, you'd have to go like sit in a dark other room alone in the house. And so like <laughs> I'd want to be close to the safety of, you know, where the parental figure was. But that's where the movie was. So I would like sit behind his recliner and not watch the movie, but I would, I could still hear it. And so it was yeah. just going and going and going in my imagination. And so I just had a hard time with them. And then I had, um, a few friends in my, uh, in, in kind of like fifth, sixth grade who were sort of like gatekeepers, um, who just, oh, uh, of course were like, we no, are. No, you got to watch this. You got to check this mm-hmm. out. You know, this is evil dead. It's not that scary. Check it out. You know, <laughs> and, uh, uh, slowly, but surely it's like you, you kind of confront that anxiety and it becomes, you learn to love it in a weird way. And, uh, I feel like over the years I've met a lot of horror fans who similarly, like similarly are, um, sensitive to the genre, you know, right. and it is, it's, it's a taking back of your fears kind of thing that you sort of learn to love it in some ways. Um, uh, so that was kind of my experience. And then, you know, I, um, uh, I started making horror films in, in high school and just with my oh, friends, shit. we just, you know, this was the nineties. We would just get our hands on an old VHS or SVHS camcorder and we'd go out in the woods and shoot our Friday the 13th spoofs or whatever they may be. And, <sighs> um, rad. and it just stuck and I just kept shooting stuff. And, um, 
um, yeah. And then uh, kind of did a lot of different things for a while, but uh, was doing a lot of theater in the Atlanta scene in my early 20s. And um, we would occasionally go out and, and, you know, shoot horror stuff, throw blood on the walls and stuff. And um, I, I, I wasn't fully committed to becoming a horror filmmaker. I didn't really know where uh you know what 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 the path would be necessarily um right and uh we ended up making you know one horror film that stuck that got some attention and i realized that i really really loved it and that i had this like long history with it and it just it just stuck that is so cool i mean when you were first like in introduced into horror at, at such a young age um and it started kind of sticking a little later on as as the more and more that you watched it um when you would do these films with your friends, would you find yourself like in this, uh, I guess in, in, in this very transcentric, transcentric, um, environment where you're just like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Or like, did you just, we're just like, oh, I'm just doing this for fun, you know, shits and giggles. Like, let's see what happens. Yeah. I think in high school we were going to make movies. Like that's what was absolutely going to happen. That was um, it. We were we were lightly industrious. I wouldn't say we had like a real plan. We had never met a professional filmmaker. We didn't. <laughs> sure. we, didn't we, we weren't like scouting film schools. It's like we weren't super serious. I mean, sure. We were just, uh, but we were um, we were productive in the sense that we just our favorite thing to do was shoot stuff. So yeah. you know, when other kids were, were were messing around, we were we were constantly like picking up the camera. We had like you know six and seven projects going constantly. Um, Kevin Holy Coughlin shit. was my was my pal, um, and uh, who was who was always uh, we were always making things together. And his parents had this elaborate basement set up that. Um, you know, you could do anything in Coughlin's basement. You could, you could, you could paint the walls. You could like move around the furniture. You could stay up till six in the morning shooting stuff. Anything went. And Coughlin's so basement. Shoot, and shoot, and shoot. Yeah, yeah. And so, and uh, uh, yeah, and that was. That, that I, I think for us, um, I mean, a lot of it was horror, but also a lot of it was like any school project that would come along, we would go and make a movie for it. You know, I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure a lot of young filmmakers have this thing where they're just asking a teacher. It's like, yeah, can I shoot a video? Can I make a video? And so, um, uh, a lot of it was just like bad spoof stuff, you know, just like really, <laughs> really goofy comedy. Um, and then, and then occasionally we dared to take ourselves seriously in the horror stuff, but, yeah. um, I don't know that we ever got anything that was actually scary on camera, but, uh, all those old videos oh, are laying around somewhere. Yeah, I, I need my hands on those, man. Do you still? Right. I, like, I know you said they're laying around somewhere, but I, I want to see those. So they're bad. buried in the backyard. In a shoebox. <laughs> they're the buried in Colin's basement. They'll <laughs> <laughs> lay there forever. It's really great to hear stuff like that, though. Like, would you say you guys self-taught each other how to do it just by doing trial and error and just picking up the camera and just doing what you love? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just emulating the movies that you love, you know? Um, I mean, Raimi was a big influence for us. Um, I think, uh, you know, Cameron weirdly, I mean, uh, you know, obviously like Terminator stuff, we did a lot of Terminator spoofs. Uh, uh, Coughlin really wanted to do Westerns. So, um, we, 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 we tried and failed on the Western front. Hard to recreate a Western in suburban Atlanta guys. You just don't really have a backdrop. (laughs) Um, but, uh, uh, the, uh, yeah, absolutely. It was self-taught. And, um, uh, I, I mean, that, that was always my experience was just trial and error, you know, and that, that kind of, um, uh, you know, DIY mentality was something that for me carried forward, 
you know, all the way until we made the signal when I was 28 years old. So right. I, cause I didn't, I didn't go to film school. And so even after college, um, I got, a t- you know, I went to, you got a telecom degree, you know, from the university of Georgia. And so even after that, I, you know, I went down and was doing, you know, weird theater in Atlanta for a long time. And, um, uh, really enjoying the, the, you know, the theatrical community down there and some of the stuff that we were exploring in that setting, but we were still going off and shooting videos on the side and it was still very much DIY self-taught, you know, exploration. Um, so right. I, I mean, I never met a professional filmmaker until we ended up at, you know, Sundance with the signal in 2007. And so, um, mm-hmm. we just didn't, didn't have a lot of instruction, but I found that like, that was really good for me because it was just, a lot of like trial and error in a low friction environment. And what I mean is that like, it's not like you're saving up your money and all of your favors so that you can go and like shoot that one pro looking short film that takes you two years to make. So you can then spend another two years touring it around in a festival circuit, trying to get people to see it. It's more like there's greater frequency and um, the cap to who sees it is much smaller. So it's more like you're shooting 15 things in a year and you're just screening it at local venues for people as for in our case, part of this kind of, you know, Atlanta art scene theater community. And you're getting a lot of feedback from people constantly. You're going back and you're making more as a result. And um, part of that means you're like, you know, you're not, you're not trying to compete with Hollywood necessarily. You're just shooting stuff down and dirty. You're using available light. You're using, you know, your, your friends that are actors um, you're using locations that are around you. You're using gear that you're that's available to you. That kind of thing. Like for me, that that really was film school. That's awesome! That. Holy yeah. shit! It's very inspiring. A lot of people want to do that too. And the hardest part is just starting. And I think once you get started, that's all you have to do, and just keep going. Love hearing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing. Like, if you know, whenever I I, I meet you know young filmmakers who are just kind of getting started and, and asking like, how do I how do I go out and shoot stuff? How do I get my stuff seen? The, the thing I always say is just like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make a ton of stuff. You gotta fall on your face over yeah. and over and over again. And so you need frequency of creation and frequency of views with audiences. And you need to kind of get it, get in a rhythm with that. And then over time you ingest a lot of things as instinct. And, um, we, we actually formalized it in Atlanta. We had this, um, so sorry to go off on this, but if this is on topic, the, um, the, yeah, we, so, you know, I, again, was doing, uh, working with this theater company, Atlanta push push theater and, um, their philosophy, this is, I'm probably 22 years old. This is like straight out of college. And, um, their philosophy was, uh, was workshop based. So their, their funding was, uh, based on the idea that artists come there to develop. And at a certain point you open the doors and you let an audience in on that process, which is a little bit different than having a mandate that you have to put butts in seats necessarily. So you're creatively, you're kind of tasked with try some things as opposed to like entertain the Friday night crowd. And so, um, that philosophy means that a lot of things don't work, but you end up striking out a lot of really interesting directions and it gives you the space to kind of figure out what's my thing? What am I interested in? What, what are the, what are the patterns that are emerging in the things that I create? Um, and, uh, we being kind of me in a group of cohorts, uh, that I knew at the time, um, still do, um, were, uh, had come up with the idea that we would form a filmmaking branch of this theater philosophy. And, uh, we called it the dailies project. And so that was, uh, uh, probably brand for about, I don't know, 
five to seven years in Atlanta. And what we would do is just throw a challenge out to the community. Like everybody go, uh, uh, you know, shoot a short film in Piedmont park and uh, incorporate this action into it. And, uh, and then a character from the previous short um, or everybody go tell the story of this bizarre picture, whatever that means to you. And so everybody would go off on their own dime, shoot a short film, cobble it together at the time we'd be shooting mini DV and then we'd edit it together on, you know, final cut pro and we'd assemble a little show and we'd screen these at local venues. We called it the dailies project. And, um, and that, and again, this was an extension of that same idea. This was kind of our film school. And so I think dailies made like 150 films or something over the the course of that time. And, 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 and I mean, a lot of these are little short blips, you know, they're just little things that belong to the filmmakers. They're not up on IMDb. They're not, nobody's pushing them on the festival circuit. They weren't, um, nobody's trying to get an agent. We were just making shit. And, um, you know, and, and for me, it was like, I'm holding boom on one person short. I'm helping somebody punch up their script. I'm, you know, I was somebody who had the, um, you know, uh, 2006 era, I had the DVX 100, which was a uh, Panasonic was the first 24 P mini DV camera. So when you were shooting mini DV before then everything was like progressive, right. uh, 30, 30 P progressive at best, usually interlaced. So it had that old nineties, like soap opera feel to it. So it didn't, right. you know, it didn't matter how hard you tried to make something scary or dramatic. <laughs> it just felt like silly TV. <laughs> So when that camera came out for us, just that frame rate adjustment was the first time that like, it felt like fucking movies to everybody. So everybody wanted my DVX 100. So it was like, it was like the millennium Falcon. We just like, it had been through hell. It was just getting handed around and all of these different shorts. It was getting strapped to motorcycles and like, you know, people give it back to me like half broken and be like, what happened? And you know, they got the shot. But, um, so we were, we were all hands in, like everybody was involved all the time. And so it was just this, like for me, this really, really rich period of creation, um, without a lot of focus on, um, professional aspirations. It was just make, right. make, 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 and then, you know, and then screen it and, and, um, and having that benefit of maybe it not being quite the YouTube generation yet of it being like these live venues. Like there was a little bit of a scene in Atlanta at the time. So like you could screen stuff and there'd be an audience of 50, 60 people and you can feel when you have them. And you can feel when they get bored and, um, you know, so you're sitting in the back of the room and, you know, when you start to lose them, you suffer a little bit. And, um, when, when it works, it's a delectable feeling. Yeah. And so, um, I, I, you know, I, I find that period of time super valuable because getting accustomed to those rhythms and stuff for me, uh, again, that was, that was, that, that is, you know, self-taught, you know, learning of your craft and testing it with an audience and whatnot. So, yeah. That's amazing. You mentioned also like, that's kind of how you started going into, uh, getting more into like when you got started with the signal with, uh, Dan and Jacob. And, um, I want to talk about the anthologies a little bit uh, because you you have quite the rich history with anthologies. I mean, it's three anthology Mm -hmm. films, I think, under your belt, right? Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like what what specifically got you interested? Like like maybe maybe the fact that you kind of probably already answered this with like the blips and things like that of those shorts. But like what got you interested with the signal and VHS and Southbound? Like what was it about that 
that really truly got you interested in those? Uh, well, it was different every time, you know, and, and yeah. I, it was, I didn't set out to do a bunch of anthologies, but I realized like, sure. it just kind of worked out that way. And I was like, <laughs> and I realized I was like, I, that I loved short form horror. Um, I like to say, cause you can get in late and you can get out early and yeah. like, you just, you don't, you, you're not sort of tasked with the burdens of, you know, a third act, which is particularly challenging in horror and uh, almost by definition ties up the things that are often better left as a mystery. Like there's a bit right. of a conundrum at the end of a horror film, no matter how you spin it. But like mm. the, um, uh, yeah, the first one, the signal came together in a really fascinating way. So I was just saying that, you know, this dailies project, this thing that we formed, um, in right. Atlanta. So one of the dailies projects was, uh, an exquisite corpse project. And so, Myself and this guy, Rob Nixon, um, created 20 minutes of a feature film. And we didn't know what was going to happen after it. We went, we shot it, we edited it, everything. Very, very bizarre. And then, um, and then we handed it to Dan Bush, um, uh, uh, who was a good friend of mine and was also a filmmaker in the daily scene. And we said, uh, figure out what happens next. The movie's yours. And so the actors were down. So he goes away for about seven months and comes back with 40 more minutes of movie. Holy shit. And, uh, <laughs> and it was about this, it was about a lot of things. It was very surreal. It was kind of Lynchian. There was this like strange frequency that was em- uh, emerging in these like TV tunnels. And there was like sure. violence was breaking out in the city, but there was also like a lot of other stuff that it was about. And, um, and so then he gave it to Jacob Gentry and said, uh, you figure out what happens next. And, um, and then we had a couple other filmmakers we're going to work with even after that. We never quite got to, but, um, uh, Jacob went away and, and, and came back and, you know, the project was kind of fizzling on the dailies front. And he said, you know, look, this is a mess, but there's an interesting kernel here. Um, what, what if we just like went and made a movie, like a brand new movie? Like what if we started over and just took, some of these ideas that you guys are working with. And so, um, so we went back to the drawing board and it was out of that that emerged the signal. And he had a, him and his producing partner, Alex Motlaw had a, uh, a lead on some financing. It was like $50,000. wasn't much money. And, um, and we went and we shot the signal in 13 days. But the reason that movie is an anthology, um, or it's kind of an anthology. It's really like, three different perspectives on this apocalyptic event. Um, for those of your audience who don't know the film, it's about a bizarre frequency that goes out over the airwaves and drives people to violence. So, you know, people, bad things start breaking out in the city. No one knows where the frequency came from. It comes through your radio, your television, your phone, your computer. It's, it's fucking it's awesome. omnipresent. And, uh, <laughs> Y'all should check out uh, the signal. <laughs> it's a it's great conceit, you know, and, and, and like, yeah. and the, uh, the, the, so the, the, uh, you've got this bizarre apocalyptic event that's happening and you've got all these people who are, they're not zombies. They're kind of confused to the point that violence right. is breaking out. And it's very much like violence begets violence. Like, am I attacking this person because everybody's going crazy and they're going to attack me. And then you preemptively defend yourself, but then you're like, fuck, am I part of the problem? Am I signalized? Like a lot of fun conundrums in there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the, the movie is told, uh, takes on three different perspectives, um, each, uh, following a different member of a love triangle. So a woman's cheating on her husband, but, uh, her husband's kind of abusive. She's trying to get to her boyfriend in the middle of this apocalyptic event and uh, a guy she really wants to be with. And he's trying to find her and everybody's trying to find each other. And so, uh, I directed a segment, Dan directed a segment, Jacob directed a segment. It has kind of a 
somewhat of a Rashomon quality because sometimes you're seeing the same events replayed from the perspective of a different filmmaker, a different character. Right. But that's simply an anthology. The fact that it's an anthology was born out of this dailies project and uh, that that was so how we could get a movie done in sure. 13 days was we had to split up the directing duties and that was just what the genesis of it was. So we're like, let's just try this crazy thing. And so, um, so it was just blind luck that we ended up there and we're fortunate to get the movie into Sundance. And, um, that was kind of our introduction to the professional world of filmmaking. And, um, uh, yeah. And so the signal was this kind of bizarre creature that nobody knew what to do with. And, um, it was years later that, uh, Brad Miska and team were putting together VHS and he had been a big fan of the signal. So, um, I think, I think they called Jacob first, but Jacob couldn't do it cause he was DGA cause he was doing these, um, um, super psycho sweet 16 movies for MTV at the time. And yeah, um, I remember so those. he recommended me and, um, and I saw the list of all the filmmakers that were on VHS and, um, obviously admired all their work and, um, and also thought the idea of a, of a found footage anthology just sounded rad, you know? And, <laughs> uh, cause I was like a secret lover of found footage, you know, at the time, some people were pretty critical of it, but I just thought the immersive quality of it was so great. And, um, uh, so we jumped on that. And then, um, so that one was like a bit more like, you know, a couple years after the signal, I didn't have anything going on. Bloody disgusting was calling like, Hey, we're making a VHS movie. Um, you know, you should, you should jump in on this. And, and I was like, yeah, I got to do this. Um, Southbound was totally different. Southbound was like, you've got radio silence and Pat Horvath and Roxanne Benjamin and myself. And, you know, this is a few years later and we've all got, you know, studio deals for movies we're trying to get made that we can't quite get across the line. And right. you're getting into that next level, that very frustrating director game of like, how do I play Hollywood? which was new to me. And, um, uh, it's a lot of like, uh, go, don't go wait. Um, you know, a lot of twiddling your thumbs, trying to get something across the line. So in the middle of that Southbound, we found a financier and just thought, well, fuck it, let's go steal an anthology in the desert while we're waiting for other shit to happen. And, and that one was just a blast to make because it felt like we were getting away with something, but but yeah, um, so long story short, my, my journey like with that anthologies <laughs> is, is uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was so much fun. And, um, and, uh, 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 so I still love that stuff. I mean, I still love short form horror and that's why we're, you know, you know, we did another VHS and I would go back to it anytime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you executive produced VHS 94 as well, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. was amazing to see radio silence's name on there and your name on there again. Um, and, that's awesome. You know, like it, it, what made me think about this as well, you just going back over it. Cause you had tr- transmission one in the signal, which I think was called like crazy in love was like the, that subtitle. Um, yeah. and then you had amateur night in VHS and you had the accident in Southbound and with the accident. And you mentioned that your mom was an ER nurse and I feel yeah. like the accident really <laughs> now it makes so much more sense. Um, but, uh, with, with the accident and, and all of those, those are, those are fucking brutal. Like, like they're, they're really brutal. Like all, all sets of those, like a lot of like very gory situations and, and all of them. And, um, you had this perspective of that going into like the ritual, it seemed like, cause the ritual gets fucking brutal as well. Do you find yourself 
and I and based off of your next project that you're working on with Hellraiser, um, I'm sure it's also yeah. going to be quite bloody. But like the Night House took kind of a, a a different turn there, where the Night House isn't as gory as your other right. projects, um, and and that caught me at surprise. And I I remember hitting you up like as soon as the film was done, and I was applauding you. Um, and I was actually quite surprised you're awake. You hit me up right away, but <laughs> but um, with with that time, like what made you decide to go, I guess a little bit more away of the brutality aspect that you're kind of used to in your films, um, for the night house. Yeah. I mean, well, the night house was a, a script that, you know, I, Ben and Luke actually, uh, it's quite funny. They sent it to me in 2014 and um, oh, wow. I sometimes get caught up and, and don't get around to reading things. Sure. And so I slept on it. I put it aside and then, uh, <laughs> another, another filmmaker got attached to it for a long time. So I couldn't get my hands on it. And, um, you know, Ben had described it to me one night <clears throat> and um, I, I, I always remember that it sounded really cool. So post ritual, I, I had spent a year in London doing ritual and um, came back to LA and was like trying to figure out what to do next. And um uh, hit Ben up and was like, Hey, did that, that, uh, night house script, that, that one kind of like solo setting, you know, woman in a house, uh, after the loss of her husband, like what's going on with that? He said that it had freed up and sent it over and I just fell in love with it. You know, it oh, was man. a really, really fantastic, unique, deep dive into some pretty tough stuff. Um, you know, suicide, anxiety, and depression, which you guys have explored so well, uh, here on your podcast. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, for me, like horror beats are always kind of, a uh, they have to sort of be right. Like a reflection of the material of, uh, what the character's going through, what we're talking about in some ways. And I think violence on screen, eh, I don't want to say violence on screen in total, but a lot of times if you're going to do something pretty brutal on screen, um, for me, I'm more comfortable with that if there's a sort of a sense of humor um, buried deep sometimes in the material. Right. So if it's ritual, you're kind of laughing at male frailty, which, right. you know, hmm. um, yeah, I mean, for me as a guy in his early 40s, it's like uh, that's an easy thing to tap. Right. And um, and and I can self mock all day long. So, yeah, you know, you can end that movie with a guy basically in his pajamas screaming at his screaming ancient at Norse animal god <laughs> with a Viking battle axe in his hand. And it's like, right. you know, feel free to giggle at that. You know, like, it's like, it's fine to do, to do mischievous things. I think, um, you know, and for something like Southbound for that short, I mean, that was almost like a nightmare PSA. That short was committed to the idea of like, this is how much you shouldn't fuck with your phone when you're driving. Yeah. And right. uh, so the whole thing is like a nightmare, uh, a nightmare finger wag on the right. audience of like, yeah. don't I love how he's still on the, the phone though. Through the whole process. Still on the phone. So it's, it's like permissible to me to get really nasty with that because it's a, it's an expression of like, self-loathing and self and, and guilt and, and, um, all these nasty feelings that, that you would have as a result of, of, uh, you know, if, if out of your own idiocy or carelessness, you would hurt somebody. And so, um, I think with Nighthouse, it was just, 
it was it, it was something that that I, I know uh, a lot of the filmmakers on the project struggled with, which was that it was it was heavy stuff, and it was stuff that was very personal to everybody. It was personal to people in the crew. Right. Um, uh, a lot of people have a story, and so um, it just I think it, it it sort of pushed us all to a place of needing to kind of step up to that and and manage it with a with a different tonality and a different kind of respect and a different care in some ways and um you know and still hopefully make a movie that's like you know a good ride you know it's still has to on some level be entertainment um movie about depression can't itself be depressing um so uh uh but yeah i would say that's why i certainly didn't want to go down some of those same paths completely fair I feel like in the same way, the movie itself is brutality, but it's in the internal mind of like mental health, of course. Um, I feel like out of all of your movies, that's probably the most brutal, but it's the one that's the most relatable to everyone that watches it. They can connect to it in some way. And then, of course, you have the horror aspect, which is really well done with the house and the shadows and the movement, camera angles playing with your eye, it uh, signifies a lot of the mental health stuff that we go through and how we perceive the world around us and feeling alone and stuff like that too. So the movie is brutal, but in a different way, which like you said, it it shows that you guys took a lot of time and care and respect with the topic and it's just done so well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate that. No, no, that's a great, (laughs) great, great way to put it. And yeah, and I, I feel the same too. I mean, like there's a, there's a frankness to that script and, uh, um, you know, about confronting meaninglessness and, um, uh, there's just a few places that it goes that are, are, I think stark and, um, and Rebecca really found that, you know, and, um, found, I think we squared away with it and found that confrontation. And so, yeah, for me equally, like it's, it's the hardest watch by a mile. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. And even talking about Rebecca for a little bit, Rebecca Hall is obviously phenomenal, but um, seeing her character in Christine and Mm -hmm. then seeing her character in the night house, holy shit. Like it, 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 for some reason, I always have felt that blend for her with like Christine and um, her character in the night house as well. And it, it, it just, she is the perfect epitome of knowing and evoking characteristics, just characteristics like that. She mm-hmm. oozes with it. I mean, she's done it in the awakening and I love seeing her in horror in general, but like she's even yeah. done it in Sherlock Holmes. Like, <laughs> so like right. her having this type of style, um, is phenomenal. Like it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I want to, I want to bounce. Oh, seriously. The mannerisms. She's so excellent. Fucking phenomenal. And God, we're preaching to the choir here, but like, (laughs) I want to, I want to, um, backtrack a little bit to the ritual. Um, how did that come about? Like, I know, I know Adam Neville's story, uh, the ritual that came out as, as a novel first, it, when I first heard it was being made by Netflix, um, I, I was just like, oh, that's going to be interesting because that, that book doesn't feel like it will be transcended on screen too well. Like, it, it sounds hard yeah. to pull off, but yet yeah. you fucking pulled it off with grace. Like, what the... <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like, like, it completely shocked me. I was just like, what? This is the best movie on Netflix. Like, what do you get? And I still actually very much believe that. And um, the fact that, one, uh, I released that tweet that, that went viral and we were able to get it 
back streaming on Netflix or, or, or kind of going a little bit on the top 10 on Netflix again. Very proud of that moment. But, yeah. um, <laughs> with, with that, like, how, how did, how were you able to go about that? That sounded like a hard as hell project all in general. And I've always compared it to, um, a nightmare on Elm Street type of uh, rehash or rebrand in some ways with the nightmare sequences and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always campaigned uh, only two people to do a Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> remake. It's, it's been you, David, and it's been Anthony Scott um, Burns as well. That's like, very <laughs> generous. Yeah. I, nightmare on Elm Street was always, was always and I appreciate that, was always like, at least when I was younger, it was the one that when I first like absorbed horror films, it was like, yeah, yeah slasher, but dreamlike, like I'm all also, it's just like, you can do anything, you know? Right. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, no, uh, no, you're right on ritual was, uh, was just a hell of an experience to shoot. I have to yeah. tell you, cause it really, it was a deep in the woods, lose your mind kind of production, you know? Um, it was like, um, you know, our many hearts of darkness in some ways, but <laughs> the, um, uh, it came together because, uh, I, you know, I, again, I'd been trying to get a feature made, you know, for years and, um, a lot, and got close on a few of them and they would often fall apart, you know, a week before prep. And, um, and I was in the wake of, I had been attached to a Friday the 13th project that had fallen apart. And kind of in the wake of that, I, uh, my, my manager had tossed me this script, uh, that was, uh, making the rounds. It was, um, with Andy Circus's production company, The Imaginarium out of London. I hadn't read Adam's book and, um, they'd been developing a script for a while. So, um, I read it, instantly saw potential in it, went, read Adam's book. And I was like, I gotta make this. This is about like guys in their late thirties, like falling apart, like old friendships as they grow older. I was like, this is where I'm at in my life. Like I know exactly <laughs> what's going on in this. And, um, and, um, and I like the idea of a, a group of, you know, aging men in a horror film. Like it wasn't, yeah. it's actually not a place that's been explored a lot, you know, and um, it, at least getting into the psychology of it in some ways. And so, you know, usually you put a bunch of late thirties guys in there. They're, it's more aspirational action beats. It's a, wish fulfillment of how much you wish you could still kick ass or something like that. And this is what I love about horror is that it is, it's not usually, it's not usually a hero tale, you know, a hero, a hero story is, is, is trying to mine around, mine, mine around and, and come to some suggestion of how we ought to be. I find there's, um, with horror, it's more like you're just finding commonality with the audience in like weakness um, it's more confessional in in that way. You're you're not making a suggestion of how anybody ought to behave. You're you're instead going like, these are the quandaries in my existence, <laughs> and like, <laughs> do you feel it too? And um, uh, so I, I like the humility in that, and so uh, it, it made a lot of sense to me. And um, uh, so we did a. It happened really fast. It was like the universe created a little eject button and I pressed it and I was on a plane to London. I didn't come back for a year. And, um, we did a, we did a Mm. short pass on the script. It was like two months. And one of the, one of the things about it, you talk about the dream sequences, which, um, there are nightmare sequences in the book, but they're treated a little bit differently. And part of the reason is that the book, uh, the book takes on a shape that I think only works in novel form where, 
you know, you've got these four buddies wandering through the woods and um, they're lost and being lost is frightening. They're lost in the Swedish wilderness and uh, something is stalking them. They don't know what. And um, Luke, the protagonist, who was the former kind of alpha of the group when they were younger and has now kind of lost his status amongst his friends and they all have a chip right. on their shoulder about him. Um, and he can feel it. He can feel their doubt as he's moving through the woods. He's constantly remembering who they once were. So the, mm. the, the, the experience of reading the book is to be lost with them in the woods while this guy's constantly recalling stories of uh, who they were in their youth. And that's juxtaposing where they're at now. Right. And, uh, and it's a fantastic read. It's very person hits very personal in that way that, you know, you can, you can instantly get into recall the way that a novel can do that to put on screen in a film to actually be cross cutting with like scenes from when they were younger just wouldn't really fly in right. a horror film like you, because when you watch a movie, it's a shorter, it's shorter experience. You're going through it in 90 minutes as opposed to right. a few days to read the book. And, um, and you need that sense of immersion. You need to stay in the woods. And so, um, so we, we manufactured a dilemma on the front, uh, with the loss of a friend, this act of violence in the beginning of the film as a way to, put the, the, the doubt, the, the wedge that comes between them on screen so the audience could experience it and feel it. So we could a lot of that was just about narrative efficiency. And then once they get in the woods, um, we, we found that you could, you could merge the trauma from that event with the dream sequences that were brought about by the supernatural force to give you kind of a visual template, this, um, convenience store set in the woods this this traumatic event recalled oh, in the woods and so it was just like it was it was kind of like you know sometimes you get a you know bag of awesome ideas and something that you're translating and then somewhere along the way it just carries you to this other place that you want to do something and it's kind of tangentially related you're not sure how related it is until the movie gets done you look back and you go yeah okay that's the ritual it's just we found our own way to it yeah. and um you know so that was the process and then the movie was um 33 days on a mountaintop in Romania and uh, in the Carpathians, oh. which I, you know, for me, for this, I have been trying to make a feature horror film for 20 years and been this long journey to get to it. Yeah. And there I was like, you know, in the Carpathians at 7,000 feet, you know, with, oh, with the crew, shit. make it a, make it a movie about a Norse animal God. <laughs> right. And uh, I was That's like, awesome. if I never get to go again, it was worth it. You know, this, Absolutely. this is the dream. So, but, uh, but yeah, what was great about it too, is like, you know, that's, that, that's one of those, like, I mean, I wouldn't say we went full revenant, but I'd say we went like half revenant or something, you know, sure. like that's real exhaustion on the actor's faces. We're freezing cold, you know, we're out in the woods. It's got a gonzo kind of feeling to the whole thing. And, and that starts to infect the performances and you just got to go for it. And, and, you know, our entire cast was was all in. I mean, you know, Rafe Spall wore every, every bit of it. And, um, and, and, you know, it's all, you're always in a little too deep and it's always a little too crazy when you're making a horror film, because usually the stuff you're putting on screen is, it could go horribly wrong if you're not right. And it doesn't work out right. So it's like, you know, to be at the end of that movie and have like, you know, it's 4am on a mountaintop in the middle of an actual hailstorm, And we have a giant prosthetic wow. monster head on a jib arm with it with a stunt actress in the middle of it and it's lifting rafe's ball up in the air and you're like this is either going to work or it's not going to work you just have to kind (laughs) of just go for it 
Right. <laughs> um, but, but you, you end up, I think when there's that much duress and that much just like of a physical challenge, um, even being there, it just, um, you, you eventually just like surrender to it and just go for broke. And I think that was the spirit of that movie. And I, I, I like to think it comes across on screen. It does. It does. Like it is. It is easily, very, very phenomenally well done. And I love the fact that that film has a lot to do with grief as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, in some ways, like you, you're you're becoming this very awesome director who really understands grief. And how to present that on screen to make it relatable. And with something with the ritual, and um, obviously I haven't read the script to your new film, um, but based off of what we know from the previous film, uh, it, it's, it, it has those, those correlations. So with that mindset of you kind of being this, this, and I'm sure this wasn't intentional, but uh, this director who, um, has presented grief in such a uh, very obtainable and miraculous way. Who do you see yourself potentially wanting to work with potentially in the future, whether it be another director co- co-directing alongside with you or whether it be another writer or something like that? I mean, Ben and Luke and you <laughs> are the fucking amazing trio. But I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious. And also, gotta add Ben uh, Lovett in there because Ben Lovett's been there from the beginning. Oh, thank you. So, He's so like, good. <laughs> so it's, I'm, I'm curious who you see yourself working with because I posted this on Twitter that, and I yeah. said it inside of the podcast on that episode with the Nighthouse that I personally would love to see you work with Mike Flanagan because that would fucking bl- blow my mind. But, um. Who would you like see yourself working with, or would love to work with, like one of your one of your passion projects? Right, right, right. Yeah, no, great question. I have to think about that. I mean, I, look, obviously, Flanagan, I admire greatly, and uh, yeah. I was, I mean, all the way back to Absentia, which I got. I, I think a disc <sighs> of that. I don't remember exactly. Got sent to me way back when because he had shown the signal to his cast for Absentia. Did, and yeah. said, you know, yeah, as sort of a, uh, you know, like we're going to do something, you know, really small and indie, um, you know, um, kind kind of in the space of this. And then that movie is scary. You know, I mean, one of the things with Mike, I, I just always was like, he just knows how to get it. Yeah. And um, his movies freak me out. Every single one of them will find a, a few moments and just reach through the screen. I'll be like, God damn it, that's fucking scary. How did he do it? <laughs> and, uh, and and I'm not, you know, I mean, I'm sure you, you, you guys are the same way where it's like you're not um, – it's hard to have – you don't always get that feeling. And so – Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't thought about it much uh, as far as collaborators on the director front necessarily just because – um, it's usually a bit of a solo journey as a director. Sure. I know that I would love to put together more anthologies, you know, where we get the opportunity. Cause that's a space where directors can collaborate, um, a bit, you know, uh, tangentially, you know? And, right. um, uh, uh, so, I mean, I think, look, obviously, um, I, the, a lot of the creative relationships I've had, I would go again and again and again with, you know, Ben and Lewis, I would love to do another movie with, um, radio silence, um, Roxanne Benjamin. I would love to work with again. We're all still really tight pals. Um, Patrick Horvath actually, who did, I love um, that. 
He, yeah, you know, Pat, like Pat did yeah, uh, Pat's you know, one of the shorts in Southbound, and he's also a really incredible visual artist. And so, um, you know, he helped us out on Nighthouse, and um, and he's helped us out on on Hellraiser quite a bit. And uh, usually, he's really great to you know bring into these kind of brain breaking situations where he has to just he, there's a problem that he has to find his way around, and right. similar to what he did on Nighthouse, where he was like helping us realize these optical illusions and whatnot. Um, and then I appreciate you mentioned Ben Lovett. Ben Lovett is, a, is somebody who, um, uh, composer who I've known since college. So ben, wow. ben and I go way back. Um, that's awesome. You know, we've done four movies together, uh, so cool. and, uh, uh, on a feature level, but we've done tons and tons of shorts. And so, right. um, that's just a relationship, you know, for me that it's, it, Ben is, it's half composer. He's also half like therapist. Because usually the composer comes on after you've shot the movie and you're a little bit lost on it and you're at the end of this journey and you're like, I don't know what I did, but here's this thing. And then he gets to come in and he's like, uh, and interpret it in so many different ways. And a lot of, and in a lot of ways, his, his, um, um, you know, beyond just making the music, his contribution as a storyteller is also to, to bring it back to the kind of heart and soul of what you were after. And, um, um, usually remind you of what you've made in so many different ways. So he's great. He'll yeah. dig around and ask a lot of questions, <laughs> a lot of gentle, like, what did you mean with this? Um, <laughs> is this supposed to go in this direction or this direction? And, you know, and then I'll talk in circles for five minutes and then he'll go, okay, what if we do this, you know, and um, really get it back on track. But um, I love it. <clears throat> But yeah, I mean, as far as what's out there right now, I mean, like, um, I don't know about collaborating because I don't know what that would be necessarily, but sure. there's so many filmmakers to admire, you know, um, I, uh, I just saw the Northman the other day and I, oh, I was completely yeah. floored by it. I, that's Gorgeous the most film. fun I've had that in the movies in mind. a long time. I also thought it was funny. In, in, um, in, a, in a good way. Like I, yeah. I, I think there's a real sense of humor to it. And, um, <laughs> I had, I went with my pal who's like a resident, um, Viking expert. And, uh, uh, if there is such a thing and he, him and I were just cackling in the, and we saw it in the Chinese theaters, like best sound in LA. And we, were just, oh, we just man. thought the movie was like on point, you know, but I'm not sure everybody in the audience like understood the, <laughs> the, um, the, the spirit of it, the way we thought we did at least, but, um, sure. yeah, I think extraordinary work on that front and, um, really excited to see what radio sounds does with the next screen. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. very excited about to, that as well. I'd have to think a bit more about the collaboration, but I appreciate the, yeah, the, the, the Flanagan note. Um, yeah, I mean, I really love what he's doing. Yeah. And the sentiment is real. You know, I, I personally feel like, when it comes to to the directors that truly handle grief and horror mm-hmm. on screen very well, um, to the point where it doesn't get too mushed, I guess, into the story. Um, it's just like a, a, a benefactor of starting off and kicking us off into this journey of what we're going to work ourselves into. That's that's you and Flanagan for me, um, and that that's you know I can don't get me wrong, like I, I love like folks like Peel um, as well and how he handles like certain aspects of psychology on screen um as well but it's it's something about the way 
you weave in these stories, and I don't mean it sounds as like me like glowing. I mean, you deserve it, but (laughs) but like it's just the way you weave these stories in and out with the the audience, and you truly understand the audience before the audience even sees the damn project. And to me, that is really cool. That is just really really cool. I have to agree Uh, with that with Prince too. It's like you're very good at like you even said it yourself. Like you're really good at telling very important stories that are very important to other people who go through the same stuff and make it relatable to that character, but also make the movie a ride. So of course you're getting the scares, you're having the good time. It's an action horrific movie to watch, and the horror fans are loving it. But at the same time, they're leaving, leaving with like a a moment of like, damn, that kind of changed my life a little bit. It's like it made me really think. You have that hard impact at the end of uh, the Nighthouse. It's funny because I've seen the Nighthouse maybe seven or eight times, and I cry yeah, at the end every shock. single wow. time. No kidding. Every time I cry, I'm like, "Damn it, Claire, why'd you jump?" <laughs> like, yeah. I, I always tweet it too. It's like Claire's the friend that we all need in our life, right? Um, yep. and it's just one of those things where it's like I pick up something different every time I watch it. And if yeah. I wanted to watch it just as a horror film, I can. And I feel like I can uh, easily recommend it to any type of horror fan. Just like, you're going to have some fun with this movie without a doubt. Uh, at the same time, try to pick up the themes and try to relate to the character and see like the deeper meaning of stuff too. It has both ends of the coin, which I absolutely love. And absolutely. like we were talking about Mike Lang, he does a really good job with that too. It's like, yeah, that collaboration would be amazing. But at the same time, you both have your own signature style as well, which absolutely. I love. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see what you do next because yeah, for sure. It's like really well done. Oh, it's gonna be fucking awesome. That's, I already that's, know it. That's yeah. super encouraging, Freddie and Prince. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you know, it's like every movie is. Uh, first of all, it means a collaboration. It's like you've right. got all these different artists putting all of their energy in to an idea, and um, and it becomes a bit of a maze. And, and like the thing they never, I never knew about filmmaking until I was in the middle of it was that you know that one of the biggest challenges is just being able to see it again because you instantly lose objectivity. It's like say the same sentence over in your head six times and it starts to lose its meaning or you start to wonder what the meaning is or the meaning complicates and fragments in so many different ways. It's like, that's every mm-hmm. beat of the movie. And so by the time you get to the end of it, you've seen it a billion times. Like you can no longer experience it for yourself. And so you're always kind of flying blind a little bit and um, trying to find your way to the end of all these different things you're trying to accomplish. So when it does connect, you know, um, when somebody, you know, is if, if this is a movie that, you know, you guys are, 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 you know, have responded to in such a great way, like, that's always a really great feeling for all of us, because you never know. And, right. um, and not everybody sees it, and you want everybody to right. see it, you want to communicate, you want to express. So um, anyway, that's very, that's super encouraging. Thank you for all of that. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Uh, the last question that we do have for you is the question that we usually ask all our guests that come onto our show. Um, and it's the question that we actually ask ourselves. And this question is the near dear basis of how nightlight got started. Um, so sure. why horror? So what is it about this genre that just constantly keeps having you come back time and time and time again? Yeah. Um, I, I, I like the idea that the theater is the church and everybody gathers together in this place to process negative shit. Yeah. And, uh, and that, you know, the, the, the movies are, are just spells cast to kind of conjure negative feelings for all of us. Um, and we're, we're like, um, 
you know, we're like, we're like peddlers, right? We're like, you know, what do you want? What do you need? You know, you want a little, uh, repulsion? You want to, you want to feel, you want, you want to, you feel grotesque today a little bit, you know, you're full of self doubt. Um, what do you need to get there? You want, <laughs> you want demons, dark spirits, you want a, you want a giant kaiju tearing up the city. You, you want to experience you existential doom. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll give you whatever you want, but the point, the point is like, um, to experience the emotion. And, um, I, I think, you know, at the end of that, a film can put you back together. It can leave you hanging. Um, you can put whatever punctuation mark you want on the end of it. But like, I think there is something ritualistic and eternal about the idea that we go to a place to, to process the things that we're afraid of. And, um, uh, and the things that we have to deal with and that this is a, a, a way to experience it through conflict and narrative. And so I don't think that's ever going away. I think yeah. movies are one way to get there. And, um, uh, yeah. And so I, 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 um, um, as someone who was a freaked out kid and still is in many ways, like this was a way to, 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 to go at it. And, um, yeah, I'm just happy to work on the movies. Oh man, I love it. Love to hear it. Uh, Freddie, you have any last little questions or anything you want to ask David before we conclude? Uh, no, I'm gonna. I just love to hear that you're like very team oriented. It sounds like you have a lot of good people around you and a lot of great creatives, and you guys make fantastic work. So I guess that's like my last piece is like just thank you for making incredible, great stories and being around people who feel the same way. I agree. I definitely agree. Right on. Well, thank you, gents. David, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show been an absolute amazing blast to talk to you this has been fantastic um for everyone else uh who is listening to this you can watch a majority of david's projects and films and things like that currently on most streaming services so for example if you want to watch the signal you can check it out on tubi if you want to watch southbound you can also check that out on tubi as well the ritual is available on netflix and the night house is available on hbo max um so please watch David's stuff because it's really good. <laughs> VHS, I forgot to even mention VHS. VHS is currently on Shutter as well. So uh, please watch uh, watch David's stuff because it is, it is fucking amazing and just so much fun. VHS is also available on TV. But David, if you if you would like, uh, where can uh, people find you if you want to tweet out things or if you want to show things on Instagram? Where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, sometimes I'm not, I'm not, I'm not very good at the Twitters, but, uh, Brock <laughs> Mackina. and, um, uh, I'm also on, uh, uh, Instagram, just, uh, David Bruckner on Instagram. Yeah. Sweet. Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much. Very much appreciate you. This was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knights. Alongside me, we had Freddie. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever, also known as Nighty Night. Our efforts to get the shot is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not with a what? Okay. About pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with the post-show except for this episode. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. The episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.